Listen to these verses from Psalm 100. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Just a, a great um, ambition and a prayer uh, for this new year is that we would be a people whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditate on his law day and night. Um, there's so many uh, great uh, opportunities to um, get started on a Bible reading plan. It's a great time of the year to do it, great time of the year to kind of reset our focus and reset our minds on Christ as we go into the new year. Let's say a word of prayer before we sing this next song. Uh, Father, we just are grateful uh, for the year that's passed in all of its, um, in all of its difficulties and all of its um, joys and triumphs. And, and Father, in the midst of all of it, you are there. You are faithful. You are with us every step of the way. Uh, we are just grateful that we can call you Father, that we can call you our friend, that you walk with us uh, through every trial and struggle. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A reminder for those that are participating in our Generation Jesus uh, Youth Singing Ministry that you are all dismissed to go upstairs with your teachers. Um, Steve is traveling this week, and so we are uh, excited and grateful to have Doug uh, come open the word to us. So I'm just going to invite Doug to come on up. Morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you uh, listening online. Uh, as a college instructor, this last two years, I've been teaching a lot online, so I'm used to that. So uh, just a little warning. Um, in my cl online classes, I know a lot of students just log in and then walk away, and so I put little polls out there periodically, and if they don't answer, then I get to boot them. So those of you online, be prepared. You might get booted this morning, so I won't boot anybody here in the audience, so thank you. Don't worry about that. So January 2nd, uh, you know, the day that 90% of New Year's resolutions are uh, broken already, so uh, um, no. Let's open up in prayer, and then we'll get into the Word. Dear Lord, uh, we thank you uh, for today. We thank you that we can come and share and worship before you um, in this new year. Uh, Lord, we, we come to uh, just uh, express our, our thankfulness for you and the gifts that you have given us. Um, and while it's cold outside, your, your sun is shining, and, and we can uh, just revel in that. And we just thank you um, just bless this time that we have together this morning and, and make uh, uh, your word known uh, to each one of us. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Yeah. So, you know, a week ago we, we celebrated uh, the birth of, of Jesus and uh, it, him coming to earth. Um, and, and this week, kind of looking at, well, why did he come to earth? Okay? What was his purpose? And, you know, typically we hear he was born to die. Um, but Jesus actually gives us his own words as to why he came to earth. Okay? And so we're going to turn to John 18. Okay? 
and I didn't bring the clicker up here. You got that. So, John 18, um, we're starting in verse 33, and I'll just back up. So, Jesus has been arrested. This is at the time uh, nearing his death, um, where we hear his words, and he's already been arrested. He's been before the high priest, and they sent him before Pilate for his ruling. And so, in verse 33, Uh, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So, you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? He scoffed. He made a snide remark about what is truth. So Jesus said, the purpose of me coming is to bear witness to the real truth. And Pilate, he kind of uh, tips his hand about his philosophy, his worldview that there is no real truth out there. Now, we, we know from hundreds of years previous to this time that there were philosophers that, that talked about truth. Um, Plato um, gave his um, thesis about truth. He said that there are truths to be discovered and knowledge is possible. Moreover, he held that truth is not, as a sophist thought, relative. Okay? Instead, it is objective. It is that which our reason, used rightly, apprehends. So there is absolute truth, according to Plato. Now, 400 years later, at Jesus' time, we have the philosophers out there teaching that, that truth is relative. Okay? Everyone can make up their own truth. Okay? And so when Jesus says, I'm here bearing witness to the truth, Pilate scoffs at this. That's what relativism is, okay? Um, that idea that there is no absolute truth. And so we have this scoffing at, at what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is teaching absolute truth. Okay? And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at the implications on the church of that relativistic approach that we still see going on today. Okay? So there are, when we talk about absolute truth, there are, there are four qualities that we look at. Okay? The first one is that truth is something to be discovered, not something to be invented. We discover when we trip and fall that gravity exists, right? Okay? We, don't, we didn't make it up. Okay? When you fall on your nose, okay, we discovered that gravity exists. It's not something that we, we come up with, we invent. It is transcultural, which means it applies to everyone. It's not, oh, gravity only applies to this group and not another group. Again, the sun rises every morning and sets in every evening. doesn't matter where you live on this earth, that is true. 
Okay? It applies to all cultures. Third, truth is unchanging. It is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Okay? It's not depending upon our situation. Okay? Um, you know, they always say two absolutes are death and taxes. Death is an absolute unchanging. Taxes, unfortunately, change, don't they? They keep going up. They don't ever seem to go down, but they, they always seem to go up. Yeah. And our fourth quality of truth is that it does not depend upon your beliefs. It doesn't matter what you believe okay, or how sincere you are. Truth is not dependent upon that. So, you want to play that? Uh... Oh, it's playing up there. Okay. Once you sit here in this pumpkin patch and you'll see the great pumpkin with your own eyes. If you try to hold my hand, I'll slug you. Each year, the great pumpkin rises out of the pumpkin patch that he thinks is the most sincere. He's got to pick this one. He's got to. I don't see how a pumpkin patch could be more sincere than this one. You can look all around and there's not a sign of hypocrisy. Nothing but sincerity as far as the eye can see. So back, uh, back way back in the... Uh the 80s, back when I was in undergraduate school, Calvinist philosophers were having this big discussion called the Great Pumpkin Debate. Uh, I'm basically, if you are sincere in your belief, then that can be true. So the Great Pumpkin could be true if you believed in him enough. But what we're saying is absolute truth doesn't depend upon how strongly you believe in something. And Rod, I, I apologize, there is no great pumpkin. I, I hate to break that to you here on the first of the year, but uh, uh, you know, it, th those beliefs that we hold don't make something true. With absolute truth, you know, we have to acknowledge this, that sometimes our, our belief may not be exactly what absolute truth is. Okay? It may, we may be off a little bit. So we have what's out there, the big T truth. Okay, that's what absolute truth is. And then our perception of our, or our understanding of that is what in academic circles is called the little t truth. Okay? And sometimes our little t truth may be right on. It may have taken some time, but we analyzed all the facts and you know, we've made the determination that our little truth is actually the same as, as big truth. Sometimes we may be partially correct. Okay? And we see this time and time again through scientific discovery over the years. You know, there was a period of time when, you know, people thought the earth was, was flat. Okay, that was their little truth. Okay, but obviously they found that they were wrong on that and got closer to the fact that the earth is actually round. And, you know, sometimes we're just totally way off. We have to acknowledge that, that sometimes, you know, our interpretation of the facts are not correct. And there are others that have their little truths out there. We all still believe that there is absolute truth out there, but we may not have all come to an agreement on that. And we see that in everyday life. As a forensic scientist, you know, I worked for 30 years as a forensic scientist, and I would go testify in court for one side or the other. Usually, you know, if I was in criminal court, I was testifying for the prosecution, and the defense would bring in their expert witness, and they would interpret the facts differently than what I would do. And you can have that. In the church, we see that. We have people that, you know, believe in, you know, different 
philosophies on creation or end times prophecy, how they read the scriptures points them in one direction or, or the other. You know, we believe that there is absolute truth to what's going to happen in the future, but we don't all agree on what that is. Okay, we all have our little truths um, that, we, that we agree to. And that's okay. okay? Um, many of you may have remembered this from you know, what, what, six or seven years ago, this hit the you know, social media. What color was this dress? Everybody remember that? And some people said it was black and blue, and others said it was white and gold, and depending upon what your perception was, you had your determination. And they, they polled people out there, and 57% of the people said it was, was blue and black, and 30% said it was white and gold. There was 11% that said it was blue and brown, and another 2% came up with something totally different. So all these little truths out there, the absolute truth was it was blue and black. Regardless of what you saw or still see, that dress, they actually showed the dress and said, yes, this is blue and black. Okay, that is the absolute truth of that. Your opinion on that doesn't really matter because the absolute truth um, is clear. Again, we have that in, in the church all the time. Okay, we have different interpretations of what Scripture says. Okay, not everything is perfectly clear to us right now. We understand that. And, and we have what we call tolerance, or what we used to call tolerance. Okay, respect for one another and their right to their beliefs, no matter how wrong they may be. Right? We can still tolerate them. We can endure it. Okay, if you look at the, actual, you know, the definition of tolerance, means to endure someone else. Okay? There's a meme that, that's going around that says, uh, you know, I don't understand your particular kind of stupid, but I respect your commitment to it, okay? That's tolerance, or at least that's what tolerance used to be. Again, we have that in the church. We, we, we can live together as brothers and sisters with people that have different interpretations of, of certain passages of scripture that, scripture that we're not all clear on, and that's okay. Now, today, tolerance in what we call the postmodern world is a little bit different. Okay? This word has been kind of co-opted and the meaning has changed. Tolerance now means you must accept everyone's belief as a valid truth. So even if it's completely different from you, you must accept that as a truth. Okay? Or you're intolerant. In absolutism or absolute truth beliefs, we have what's called the law of non-contradiction. Okay? Two, two opposing statements cannot both be true. One person says God exists. The other person says God does not exist. Those are opposing viewpoints. Okay? The law of non-contradiction says they both cannot be true. Does that make sense? They can't both be true. God either exists or he doesn't exist. They can't at the same time be true. Well, in relativism, they both can be true. We no longer have that law of non-contradiction. Truths can contradict one another because we have personal truth. That's the problem of relativism. That's why it's difficult to talk to someone who lives under that, that worldview because if I believe in absolute truth and someone doesn't, it's hard to come up with that communication to understand one another. Relativism, by definition, is, is the philosophical doctrine that all criteria of judgment 
are relative to the individual situations that they're involved in. Okay? Everyone can determine or invent their own truth. And is a central tenet of what we call postmodernism. If you hear that term postmodernism, they're typically talking about this world view where truths vary depending upon the individual or depending upon the culture. So we had the pre-modern world, which was in Jesus' day. Then we had the modern world, was the time of the Renaissance. And now we live in what's called the postmodern world. So again, you will hear that, that term quite a bit. So in relativism, we have four qualities. Here, there is no absolute truth, which is kind of an interesting statement because that in itself is a contradiction. Because what it's saying is there are absolutely no absolute truths. Well, that in itself is an absolute, right? Okay. Truth is created or it's invented by the individual. Individuals can define their own truth within a culture. And truths can change. We see this in the world today, all the time. Okay, people have their own personal truths. Today, you know, I'm going to identify as this type of individual or that, or a, you know, a cactus. Today, I'm going to identify as a cactus. I'm very prickly today. So that's my personal truth. That's the world that we live in. That's the, the perception that people around us have that they can make up their own truths, okay? And that they can change from day to day to day. Again, that's a problem that can arise in the church, and we're going to see that here in just a moment. And some of the implications, okay? There may or may not be a God, okay? Depending upon who you are. One person can say there is a God, and another person says there isn't a God. Or it's a God, but there's no real absolute rule. You know, there is a creator, but he's not involved, in our lives, um, you know, there may be multiple gods, but no one's directing my steps or, or telling me what's right or wrong. So, again, we can get rid of any type of moral code. Okay? It's okay to lie to one another. It's okay to steal from one another if, I, if it benefit, benefits me more. Okay? And some of you may remember that in school. We used to have those, those little tests. Well, is it okay if you're hungry to steal food? And we, we used to, I, I can remember in junior high, and again, this is going way back for me, um, you know, having these types of tests that they would give us, and we would fill out these questionnaires on, on morality and, and, you know, people discussing whether or not, well, okay, it was really okay to, you know, to lie to someone or to, to steal something if there was a justification for it. Uh, math, okay? Math does no longer have to be objective. And if, you, if you've read in the news in the last year, okay, that's really going on right now, that math should not be an objective subject. It should be subjective. The idea that 2 plus 2 equals 4, that's a Eurocentric philosophy that's going on. And we need to throw that out. And we should just treat everyone individually and they can decide their own truths as to what this means. And this is actually going on within school districts right now, these types of fights. Okay, so we're seeing these types of things come up. Okay? Moral decisions are based upon popular opinion and feelings, not based on some natural moral code or something provided, as we believe, 
that came from God. Some of the, the past cultures, we've seen examples of relativism. Okay? The owning, beating, killing, those deemed lesser than you. Okay? That was morally acceptable to some cultures. They would say, oh yeah, well we believe these morals apply to us, but other morals apply to other people that we deem lesser. Okay? Nowadays, in current cultures, we see it's acceptable to vandalize it's acceptable to steal, insult, or physically harm those who are perceived as oppressors. We have what they call moral asymmetry. Okay? Different morals apply to different groups of people. That's how the relativistic world works. Okay? Different groups can have different rules applied to them. They're not applied equally. So there's some research out there recently. There's a group uh, called the Barna Group that does... Uh, research within uh, the churches and within Christian communities, and they've been asking questions about relativism uh, in the past few years. And it's interesting to see that, you know, in general, not just in the church, but in general, about 66% of American adults agreed with the statement that there is no such thing as absolute truth. So two-thirds of our population do not believe that there is absolute truth out there. And it's a little higher in the youth. About 70% of the youth have that same feeling. Okay, so that's a general population. But what about in the church? In the church, study of evangelical believers showed that 46% said that there is no absolute truth. Okay? So they're believers in Jesus, but they don't believe in absolute truth. 6% say they don't really know. So that means 52%, over half of evangelical believers do not believe in absolute truth. Okay? Only 48% said that, that that was something that they agreed, agreed with. Okay? So less than half of our evangelical community believe in the absolute truth of the Bible. Yeah, that's, that's concerning. We, we can break this down by generation, and, and I know it's kind of hard to see all the the details here, but we've got, you know, is lying morally wrong? One-third of what they call Generation Z, our teenagers and, and young adults, say that, that uh, it's morally wrong. So only one-third think that lying is wrong. Okay? Two-thirds of the elder population, that's, you know, 75 and above, believe that it's wrong. Okay? Even that kind of surprised me. You know, abortion, we've got marriage is a, should be a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. You can see those numbers drop based on generation, whereas sex before marriage is morally wrong. Okay, across all generations, only 22% believe that that's morally wrong. And again, these are, these are research questions asked from churchgoers. So we're seeing generationally this relativism is, is growing stronger and stronger. That, that absolute truth is disappearing. Even within pastors, only 51% of U.S. pastors have what's called a biblical worldview. So only about half. A, a, a biblical worldview is based on God's unchanging word. His word is unchanging. And since God is the creator of everything, heaven and earth, he is the standard for truth. 
Okay? He is all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and he's all-unchanging. That is a biblical worldview, and only about half the pastors believe that. Interesting says that, that the pastors least likely to have a biblical worldview are graduates of seminary. So what's being taught in seminaries? Okay? Relativism is being taught in seminaries. And I've, I've heard pastors say that. I, I actually heard a pastor say one time, well, you know, it's not my job to tell people what's right and wrong. And I'm like, well, that's absolutely in your job description. You preach the word. Okay? It tells us what's right and wrong. But everyone should be able to decide for themselves what's right and wrong. So, one, we are very fortunate to have a senior pastor here at Creekside that has a biblical worldview, right? Amen to that? Amen. Yes, absolutely. We are very, very fortunate um, because we see out in the world around us that that's not the case. I don't know what's being taught. You know, that's the scary thing. Uh, here's one seminary professor, and here's one that actually does have a worldview. He says, uh, the deadly poison spewed by mo- postmodernism is the treating the Bible not something as unique or distinct from all other books, the fates of the laws of God are simple suggestions or just another way of looking at reality and could not be used as a fundamental base to enforce judgment. What are you saying? This, the word of God now is just be, being treated as a suggestion. Here's a nice idea for you. Okay, you know, it might be good for you, maybe not. Yeah. As opposed to being absolute truth, the way that we should be living our lives. Again, that's, that's the danger that we're seeing in the church. There are what are called soft postmodernists. Okay? They, they will concede that there may be objective truth out there, but they'll deny that we can absolutely determine what that truth is. Okay? It might be true for me, but it's not necessarily true for you. We can't be totally sure that what this says is true. How sad that would be to live your life that way, wouldn't it? If you put your trust in Jesus, isn't that something that that makes us sleep well at night? That we know what our fate is? We know that that our Jesus lives again? And that we will receive the promise of salvation if we we, uh, trust in him? There's comfort in that. There's no comfort in, I don't know if this is really true or not. And what happens? Well, now i got to try, you know, cover all my bases. I'm going to try to you know, look at all different types of religions to see which one might make me feel better. Okay? And, and uh, you know, again, that's what, what people will espouse is, well, I'm just a seeker of all truths, because okay? I'm not going to buy into any one, one religion or not. And here is a, from the emerging church. This is a conversation. So a question, is justification by faith alone? And the answer from the emerging church is, well, that's, that's the wrong question. Just love Jesus. Another question, is God eternal or time-bound? Well, we really can't comprehend such a question. Just love Jesus. What about those who have never heard the gospel? Well, don't put God in the box, man. Okay? Just love Jesus. Okay? So we deflect every question that's out there and just put it all on love. God is love. And God is love. There's no doubt about that. 
but there are absolute answers to questions from the Bible, from the Word of God. So we, we can't just deflect everything. Okay? We do actually have to take a stand on, on some of our beliefs, or otherwise we can't, we can't function in life. Again, a majority of Christians no longer believe that cohabitation uh, before marriage is wrong. A vast number of young people believe that. Now, that is perfectly fine. Well, it just makes more you know, economic sense for us. Instead of, you know, yes, we're going to get married at some point. You know, why should we both be paying rent? You know, it just makes more financial sense. Then we could give more to the church, right, if we just live together. You can hear these justifications going on. There's no need to witness to people of other faiths because there may be multiple ways to God. So I don't need to witness to someone who is a Mormon okay, or who is a Buddhist or, you know, again, anybody who doesn't believe that Jesus is the one way to the Father. There's no need for me because they have a faith of some sort and, you know, they can get to heaven that way. That'll work. Okay. There's a danger in that. You know, what happened to the Great Commission? Okay, when we don't have to follow that anymore. And a lot of that falls from the fact that they don't believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. I should say inerrant, not errant word of God. <laughs> you know, if you don't believe that, if you, if you believe, oh, it's just filled of, of men's personal opinions, or, you know, Paul was, was a, you know, a, a bigot and, and we can't really trust what he says and there's so many in, inconsistencies and contradictions. We can't trust this. Okay? If that's someone's worldview, then why would they believe anything? They're just going to make up their own Bible. Okay? They're, they're going to make up their own word that they think God says because they're, they're not following what he actually said. Okay? And they're going to live their life kind of bending in the wind with whatever the popular opinion is at that time, whatever makes them feel comfortable. Okay. Now, where does this lead? The Bible tells us that. Okay. We're going to turn to Romans 1. Romans 1, starting in verse 17. For in the righteousness of God, it is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteousness, righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, whom by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Okay. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature 
rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So they traded the truth, the absolute truth, for the lie of relativism. God gave them up. So we see that going on today. We see people exchanging the truth of God for the lie of the world. Now, when we look at the truth of God, we see that all facets of God are truth. The triune God, okay, the Father, Father God, do not withhold your mercy uh, from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. Okay, Psalms 41. The Holy Spirit, but when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, and he will speak. Um, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Okay? John 16. And very familiar, John 14, the Son. Okay? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay? So we have the triune God as truth uh, spoken to us. We look at this, Christ is truth. If we're going to believe in absolute truth, in truth, we must believe absolutely in Christ. Christ is also described as the Word. Um, we saw that again in, in John. And it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen the glory, glory as the Lord, only the Son of God, the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Okay, so Jesus equals truth, equals the word. If we look at John 8, turn with me into John 8, verses 31 through 32. This, this is a well-known verse, but it gets kind of misused quite a bit. It says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed, him in, and believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my true disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This was a very popular verse when I was doing jail ministry because they all wanted to be free. And they kept saying, well, if I tell the truth, I'll get to go free, right? Yeah, no, that's not what this verse is saying. If we look at it, again, we're going to back up and say Jesus equals truth and the word. If we replace those words, the my word and truth, let's replace those words. So let's have Jesus say this again. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in me, okay, because I am word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know me, and I will set you free. Okay? This is what he's telling them. By the word and the truth, if you believe in the word, okay, if you believe in me, I will set you free. That's what Jesus is saying. And how is that, how is that freeing? How, by following Jesus, how is that freeing? Well, we look at, we look at human beings. Okay, there's been study after study after study that shows children are happier, more content when they have boundaries, when they live within those boundaries that parents set for them. Parents don't need to be negotiating with their children as to what the rules should be. Okay, parents set the rules. God has set the rules for us. And when we live we abide in those rules. In the word, we're free. Okay? We're free from worry. 
Um, you know, I'm sure many of you probably have had experiences. You're driving down the highway at excessive speeds, and you see what might be a police car. There's worry and dread, right, when that happens. But when you're driving the speed limit, there is no worry. There's freedom, right? I don't have to worry if that's a police car up ahead because I'm following the rules. The same thing living within God's Word. There's freedom in that. I know what my limitations are. I know my boundaries. And I'm living in that. I have that freedom. I know that I'm secure in His promises. Okay? I'm free from the wrath of God that's, that's coming. Okay? The Bible promises that. If I abide in Him, if I know Christ as my Savior, I have that freedom. That's what he's telling us. Okay? Again, that's, that's opposing what the relativistic world is teaching. But we also have to acknowledge that relativism is a symptom. The people that are out there living this way, okay, that we see day to day, and we see in the news all these problems and issues, this is a symptom. This is a symptom of what's going on. Ephesians 6 talks about this. Okay, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay? That is our true enemy. Those that are following under this relativistic world, even within the church, are, are being pawns of Satan. We have to acknowledge that. That is one of the truths. Okay? And again, Jesus talked about this. We turn back to, to, to a John 8, okay, 8 to 38 through 44. Then he answered them, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality, we have one Father, even God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your Father the devil, and your will is to do your Father's desires. He is a murderer from the beginning, and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. He lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus is telling that, that, that these individuals who are following under these lies are getting that from, from Satan. Satan is the one prompting these lies. Satan told his first lie recorded in Genesis 3.1, okay? when he told Eve, you will not surely die. He started lying then. And what he tells the church now is there is no God. He's trying to convince people there is no God. The Bible cannot be trusted. Your good works will get you into heaven. These are the lies that he's, he's telling people over and over again. First uh, Timothy 4.2 Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, though the insincerity of liars 
whose consciences are seared. So he's, you know, again, we're hearing this directly from the word that this is going to occur within the church. That people are going to fall away. They're going to hear these lies. And oftentimes you think, oh, well, this is going to be real demonic worship. No, it's not. It's, it's believing these lies that there is no truth. Okay? That we can't really trust the Bible. Those are the things that are going to slowly pull people away um, from the true faith. C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters. The safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Okay, that slow degradation of people you know, turning away from God. And again, that, that, go back to that uh, Barna research graph where we saw every generation falling further and further away from the truth. Okay, that's, that's the... Uh, the, the safest road, the, the gradual slope pulling away. You know, every generation, if, if parents are not teaching their children's truth, okay, they're going to keep falling away further and further from what, what God has, has given us. The church will become lukewarm. And we know, you know, that Revelation says he'll, he'll spit that, you know, God will spit that out of his mouth. So how do we guard against the lies? Okay. We have to accept the truth of the Bible. Okay? We have to hold fast uh, to these truths. Okay? That the Bible is the inspired word of God. Inerrant. God is the creator of the universe. Okay? He exists in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? Mankind is fallen creature and deserves eternal punishment. Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for that sin. And that Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and will return for his church. And anyone who believes on the name of Jesus Christ can be forgiven and be saved. These are the absolute truths of the Bible. This is what we teach here at Creekside. I pulled each one of these from our, our statement of faith. Okay, that's what we believe here. And that's what we want to encourage everyone uh, to hold on to, you know, regardless of what the world says. Uh, again, back to Ephesians uh, 6, uh, putting on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, okay, the father of lies. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, we've read this, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the, the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. That's the first thing that we do. We put on the, the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, okay? and as shoes for your feet, having put on, on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. 
Okay? That's what he's telling us to do. Prepare. Take up these truths. Wrap that belt around your waist. Okay? It surrounds the entire body. Okay? It holds your weapons. Okay? That's what the purpose of the belt in the Roman army was. Okay? And when Paul's writing this, this is what he's picturing. You know, the armor that he saw every day on the Roman guards. That belt held the weapons. Okay? Without it, you're defenseless. Finally, Romans 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Okay, we can't be ashamed of this truth. So many people now are falling away because, oh, it's too inconvenient. You know, I might, people might not like me if I, if I don't take up you know, this mantle or that mantle or, or fly this flag or some other flag. Okay? But what other people are, are espousing. Okay? We have to hold firm to the truth. We can't be ashamed to hold on to that truth because we know what the consequences are of not. So this year, we make, if we're going to make resolutions, let's make a resolution to live as if this were really true. Okay? If we really believe this is true, is it going to change our lives, the way that we live day to day? Okay? Let's hope that it will. Okay? Let's hope that we, we can believe this enough, this absolute truth, to live it absolutely. So let's uh, take a moment. We're going to pray. Uh, we're going to join together in communion, okay? coming in unity together, thanking God for his sacrifice of his son Jesus by sharing in these elements, in this symbol, okay? coming together, acknowledging the truth that he has held for us. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had this morning, this time of looking at your word. Uh, Lord, we just ask that each one of us can, can take hold of the truth that you give us, uh, that you are truth. You are absolutely truth. You are our absolute Father and our Savior. Uh, Lord, we, we just stop and thank you uh, for being who you are, uh, for blessing us with your, with your gifts and with your presence. Uh, help each one of us as we go our separate ways that today uh, to just hang on to that truth daily, okay? to be reminded of that truth, to put on that belt of truth, and to, to a fight against the true enemy, the father of lies. Again, we just thank you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm-hmm.